The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Oh, my goodness gracious. Do we have ourselves a program? Great topics, great guests, and a great co-host to top it all off. Let's go ahead and bring that aforementioned co-host in investor and frontman for Gideon King and City Blog. Gideon King joining us. Hello, Gideon. Howdy. Good to be back. How you doing? How you doing? Great to have you back. Great to have your tremendous sunglasses back along with us. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the sunglasses are if you're just going for an aesthetic, but I can tell you in my own home studio, I got these Elgato lights that are just like burning into my retinas when I do this show because you know, I need that kind of lighting. It's sort of a dark room. It's a converted garage. And I'm kind of wondering if I need to do the sunglass look, uh, you know, maybe just at least match what you're doing. So the sunglass, look, I have an excuse, okay? It's not to, it's not to try and look cool because I know I'm not achieving that. But, um, but it's because when you play guitar on stage, there's glare. And there's glare from your pedal board and there's glare from lights. And so if you wear sunglasses, it gives you the right amount of sort of distance from the crowd and the world and also helps with the glare. So that's my excuse for looking like a guy who's trying to be cool wearing sunglasses, but who isn't actually cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm I mean, it's, so. it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty rad. This is a good this show. You know, it's going well. Cool. Absolutely. Um, and I want to tell the folks a little bit about our guest coming up in the next segment. Vita Cruz is joining us. She's a corporate counsel for Gearbox Publishing, tremendous entertainment lawyer. I, I want you to do something with me here, Gideon, talking about our guest Vita. Okay. Um, imagine you're in Vegas, all right, and you're playing this very unusual game of poker where instead of holding hands with cards in them that have like a pair or a straight or a two pair or something like that, the hand you hold that you have to play in this poker game is who has the coolest legal career. Mm. And I will tell you, in this, if I'm playing this poker game, I like the hand I'm holding against any lawyer in the world. I put the fun that is my legal career up against anybody. I got my own firm. I serve the clients I like to serve. I get to work with cool musicians. I get to host a podcast with Gideon King. I don't have some law firm partner up my butt all the time. What I got going, I feel like I could win this poker game against any lawyer I have ever known, except for our guest, Vita Cruz, because... As the in-house attorney for a studio as cool as Gearbox Publishing, makers of the Borderlands series, probably my favorite video game series, nothing relieves stress faster than just blowing up stuff with all the, with the 9 billion guns. I think that's probably <laughs> right. I think it is literally 9 billion different kinds of guns right. in the Borderlands series. It is the best. And so I just imagine her day-to-day -day as a lawyer is awesome and would definitely kick my butt at that poker table. Now... I'm excited to talk to her about the work that she does, but also 
She's she's got an indie creator thing going. She's a tr- she's tremendous at social media marketing. She came from a social media marketing background before the law. She's great with pop culture. She's an excellent cosplayer. And so she's got a lot of insight and a lot of experience with independent creation that I know she's going to bring to bear in this interview. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I've dealt with a lot of lawyers in my life and um, the ones <clears throat> who sit at the nexus like of the law and creativity. Um, those are the ones who can actually have some fun being a lawyer as opposed to the other 400 and. 62 billion lawyers who are just miserable at two in the morning slaving over some contract that's that really has no bearing on humanity whatsoever not that i'm disparaging them i just kind of am um and and so you know I, it's cool it's just cool to be at that intersection of something creative and also just the 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 you know all the legal concepts that that surround these sort of creative you know endeavors it's cool it's cool and i'm i'm excited to talk to her as well about the increasing role that I think independent creators can play in the gaming industry. I think 20 years ago, the idea of independent musicians being involved in video games was unheard of. You would never hear about an independent musician getting their music synced in a video game, for example, because right, you know 20 right. years ago, we weren't syncing, or maybe more than that, we weren't syncing music into video games. Video game music was all just 8-bit chiptunes. But right. now there's a lane for musicians to get involved with video games. There's a lane for other creators to get involved in video games as voiceover artists, as story designers. And so I'm interested in getting her perspective on the rise of the independent creator in this incredibly fast-growing medium, which I think, whether it's video games proper or just esports, which is exploding. I know we were talking about yeah. that before the show. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, no discussion of empowering independent creators would be complete without getting the perspective of gaming industry and professionals like Vita. So that's going to be a blast. I'm excited about that in the next segment. What I want to talk to you about now, Gideon, and it is a shame that I feel like the listeners and viewers miss out on the best Ryan and Gideon conversations because I get some really (laughs) great just you and me radio shows when we talk on the phone during the week about just whatever you have going on that you're interested in. And I kind of want to continue one of those epic you and me conversations and bring in some of our Sirius XM listeners as well on it. You were talking to me yesterday about the role that terrestrial radio is going to play for independent musicians going forward. And you've been talking to some folks who are in that business who are saying that, they're they're seeing it diminish. We're seeing a lot of, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is there's been a lot of news lately about uh, terrestrial radios perhaps fading influence. There's uh, there there's been some automakers who've been quoted as saying that we're going to start seeing perhaps more and more cars that don't have AM/FM radios in them. Congress is actually trying to fast track legislation right now that would require automobiles to keep AM radios in cars for safety reasons, because they're hearing uh, automakers saying they want to get rid of terrestrial radio. And if that's the way terrestrial radio is going, does that change sort of the music industry's perspective on, oh, we got to push artists on radio. Radio is still going to be the forefront for independent creators. Um, Love to get your perspective on that. Like, where are we going with all this? So it's interesting. I've gone through just a little odyssey recently. I'm like every other independent artist, right? I'm trying to find pipes and modalities to spread the word about my music that right that doesn't make me very original or unique that's what 
that's what singer-songwriters, that's what artists, that's what bands do. And so, you know, there's Spotify, of course, and there's, 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 there's TikTok, and there's YouTube, and I don't need to tell anybody listening or, who's, or, or, or you about these different pipes. But this sort of one that, that, that young artists don't talk about is radio. And I was recently approached by a group of people that were willing to take my money. Um, and, um, and yes, they were willing to take my money. That, How kind of them. Exactly. That was the level of their altruism. And so, um, and so, but it, but it was really interesting. They sort of came to me and they said, oh, we love your music. We love your music. And of course, you know, wiki, go to artist, artist. Anybody says, I love your music. Do you want to be part of it? I'm like, yeah, of course, let's have lunch. You know? So, so I, I had lunch with these folks and they said, we love your music. Um, and we want to put it on the radio. And we think this can be a top 35 in this, you know, in this space, adult, contemporary, whatever. And right at first, and, you know, you often ask questions, you know, you know, what advice do, you know, you ask the question of your guests all the time. What advice do you have for the independent artist? Well, I have, I have some based upon um, the hijacking of my ego and then the subsequent disappointment after gathering some information. And so I guess what I would say is I went and had lunch with these radio folks and, and it started off great because they said they liked my music. And then they started saying, well, for this amount of money, we can get you top 30, top 35. And so, you know, I run out of lunch, okay, um, which I paid for. Um, and um, not that I remotely resent it. Why would I mention it if I did? Um, and, I, and, I le- <laughs> and I leave and I call my manager who's, you know, represented a lot of really serious acts. And I say, well, man, you know, like this guy can get me in, you know, on top 30 adult content, so on and so forth. And he's like, yeah, who gives a shit? You know, he's like, who cares? He's like, manager said like not, not worth it. My manager was like, look. This is 2023, and in 2023, it's cool on your one sheet, and it's cool um, when you're pitching yourself to people to say, hey, Ryan, you know, my last release, Turn Off the Sky, you know, it it was number 28 on the such-and-such adult contemporary chart, and that is cool. That adds to the weight of your presence, and it gives you a little bit of gravitas. But my manager challenged me and said, I want you to look at these artists. This guy's number 23 on this song. This woman's number 14 on this song. And tell me if that's driving people to their music. Is it going to sell any tickets for people? And is it going to make them get on editorial playlists on Spotify? And is it really increasing your presence? Or is it just sort of a nice throwaway line on your one sheet? So I went on that trip for him and visited um the websites and spotify pages of these artists and what i learned was much to my dismay after my ego stroking at lunch that it didn't mean a damn thing um and yet this person was nice enough to say well you know for twenty thousand dollars a track i can tweak your mix and i can get you to number 28 and so listen i'm not saying that terrestrial radio has lost its relevance no it 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 hasn't Many people in the United States who aren't driving around in a brand new um, Volkswagen Atlas, okay, um, are listening to radio because they're not listening to, to Sirius XM, a terrestrial radio. They're not listening to Sirius XM. But um, things literally change, and they change dramatically, and their effect on your success as an artist either goes up or goes down geometrically, um, and it has gone down geometrically. And that is, that is the reality. If you were to say, what advice do you have, like you always ask people, which is a great question, of course, um, I would say, 
you want to spend a very small, microscopic, molecular, atomic level of money on on getting yourself into the top 30 on to do it because it adds to the weight. But I will say one thing. It still does mean something if you're top one, two, three, four, or five. Um, I've learned that that means a lot and that does drive people because anybody can get you to top 28 by spinning your music at three in the morning in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and so I guess for me and for you and for anybody listening to the show, it's a little bit of a cautionary tale um, because it's, it's, you know, we, we love our egos being stroked. It's absolutely lovely. Um, but then when you look at the actual, actual practical effect of spending money to, 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 to pay a radio promoter to, to, so that you can call yourself a top 28 artist on some, some, you know, under some nomenclature, like, man, I've been advised not to do it. I now agree with that advice. And that's, uh, I don't know, that's my, that's my cautionary tale for this episode, Ryan. So there we have it. It's a staggering shift because <laughs> when I was first reading about the music industry, when I was a high school kid, you know, I was with my Donald Passman's had a, every, all oh, yeah. you need to know about the music business, you know, yeah. in, in my hand, Radio was everything. It was how it, it was basically what record labels did. It, they were record labels 20 years ago were radio promotion companies that occasionally developed artists. That was the totally. whole game is we got to get totally. this artist on the radio, you know, because that'll get them to chart and that'll translate into sales. And as you're mentioning, the the diminished importance of terrestrial radio and the fact that it doesn't take much anymore you know, just a few spins can get you into the top 30 on totally. certain charts because of how much totally. the world has changed. It's made things scarier for record labels because the record label formula used to be so easy for the labels. Oh, let's go pay our independent promoters to get these artists on the radio and that'll create sales. And now labels don't know what to do. Promoting every artist is different. You know, we got to make them go viral on TikTok. How come totally. they're not going viral on TikTok? Totally. We got to get them synced into a video game. We got to get them synced into this movie. And, you know, it's the, it's not a clear formula anymore. It's not a clear path anymore. So let me ask you this. When you were talking to your manager and your mm -hmm. manager is telling you terrestrial radio is not the way, what was he telling you is the way? Like, what is what is the new path if it's not just having a promoter get your stuff on FM? So here's what he said. And, and I, you know, I want to take one step back. I'll do it in, in lightning quick. The other thing that radio folks will tell you in order to deprive you of your money is, um, is, hey, look at the biggest stars today. All of them have had top radio hits. And that kind of, that kind of logic can put an independent artist or anyone in a kind of logical box where they say, well, geez, then, then, then I have to do this because it's a necessary and sufficient condition condition to 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 ascending so beware of that talk too but um to answer your question actually um he he says something i don't like um i accept it and i will do something about it but i hate it he's like listen he's like it's tiktok it's instagram it is even facebook it is social media he's like that's what that's how people are discovering music that drives spotify streams and 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 gideon you can play 50 festivals, okay? And I know that's super fun, and I know you love to do that because you love to play your guitar and you love your band. He's like, but you could, you could save any money you put into that process and just do really strong TikTok campaigns of you playing guitar for 30 seconds um, and release a, 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 a TikTok video every, every five days. And that probably has a better return on equity, at least from the standpoint of gathering notoriety um, for, for your band. Um, 
I hate that answer. Okay, because <laughs> because I like because I like music and full songs. Okay, TikTok is not how I discover, appreciate, and absorb music. But that's what he said. The other thing that he points out, and this is something I've come to learn. This is sort of a a reverse cautionary tale is that sync is really important. And so sync is something that I'm looking into very, very carefully. Um, and that is in some ways, apropos of our discussion about terrestrial radio, sync is the new radio in some ways. Um, again, I, I may have even brought this up to you before on your show. Who the hell knows? I'm too old to remember anything, but, um, but, but look at the show Peaky Blinders, right? Gigantic show. How did people rediscover the artist, Nick Cave? through that show it's not as if nick cave didn't have some notoriety he did and he's cool and the music's cool but my god that was rocket fuel for his content and so rather than stick yourself on some meaningless billboard um you know uh, uh you know rather than get yourself to number 28 on you know um music that that you know aardvarks like you know category um it'd be good to spend some time um ah uh, yes on, the aardvark really, contemporary you know, chart the aardvark yeah i know you know about that you've heard of that so yeah so man sync sync is super important um and of course social media and i can relate to the sync thing because i love movies it's you know but it's really hard for me to relate to the social media thing although i do it so that's well, my answer to your question sync is important and i think we need to prepare our charm offensive for the next segment because uh vita cruz our guest uh, does handle licensing for gearbox and so right, maybe totally. we can find out a way to get gideon king and city blog <laughs> right. in the next absolutely. borderlands game uh, absolutely I mean, well i think we should just kidnap her and until she until she gives me a sync license we don't let her out of the studio i mean it's i think it's easy really i'm sure she would love that if for no yeah. other reason that it might just get her down to miami and she can yeah. you know, hang out exactly. with that's that's how i see this it's going, it's, so. it's where she's originally from i <laughs> I, I know she's uh, itching to get back and you know yeah. see everyone there uh, I, I so we got so much to else to discuss we have the gideon king wheel of topics which is a fan favorite people love the wheel so we got to make sure we spin the wheel at some point I also have a couple listener questions, and I got to get to at least one of them, because if not, they pile up and the listeners get mad. And I thought this one was interesting, and it is kind of a nice connection point to what we were talking about just now in terms of TikTok. So I had a listener write in, uh, Gideon, and ask about royalties for musicians on TikTok. They said, when I get my song played in a TikTok video, which is effectively a sync, mm -hmm. how does TikTok pay me? And, um, you know, so... Um, and the first short answer is they don't pay much. Shocker. Um, yep. But the way it works on TikTok is a little bit different than the way you would expect it, say, on Spotify. Mm -hmm. On Spotify, you get paid per stream, right? It's you know something very small, like six-tenths of a cent, five-tenths of a cent per stream. So every time anyone plays your song on Spotify, you get about a half a penny, depending on, unless you are signed to a label, then you know your label gets a half a penny and you get nothing. But right, right, right. um but that's generally the way it is. Now TikTok does not pay per stream. They pay you per video in that uh a person creates using your song. So if somebody likes your song and puts it in their TikTok video, ah, okay. you get three about three cents per video made. And it and streams don't matter, right? So if somebody makes a video with your song in it and it gets one view, that's three cents. If it gets 10 million views, three cents. So uh, very different from Spotify, right? Spotify, it's by stream. And with TikTok, it's not about how many, you know, how good the quality of the video is that has your song. It's about how many people 
love your audio and make their own videos with your song. So it kind of creates Ryan, a different incentive. I got, I got a question for you then. Mm -hmm. Is is that fair? Does that is that equitable? Does that make does that make sense to you? I'm just absorbing what you said. Um, but my question is: does, Is that fair? Does it make sense to you? No, it doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. Um, I mean, it it, it, uh, <laughs> it it does. You know, uh, imagine if like you were to license your song for a major motion picture. Like, if you license your song for a major motion picture or a television show, you're getting paid the sync fee up front, but you're also getting paid performance royalties as a totally. songwriter. Which is totally. why, like the you know. If you ever meet the Rembrandts out in the world, ask them to buy you a drink because they can afford it because their song is in the opening totally. credits of Friends, which has made them, and the performance royalties from that have made them probably millions of dollars. Right. And so imagine if all you got for getting your song in a movie or a TV show was like three cents up front, and then no matter how much that song was played forever and ever on that TV show, exactly. you didn't get any extra money. So it's not a great system, but I mean, much of what, I mean, TikTok gets lots of criticism for how little they pay creators, right? Their creator fund where, you know, they pay out people who make engaging videos right. gets criticized for very small payouts. Mm -hmm. The way that they pay musicians gets a lot of criticism. And so it's not a it's not a great system. And you might get frustrated using it if like your audio is used in a video that gets millions of views right, and right, right. you just get your three cents. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem like you're getting paid based upon volume at all. That sucks. Yeah, that wasn't. By the way, that was that was not as elegant as 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 uh, as you just put it. But that's that's my skin reaction. It sucks. So, so what I'm hearing is like you're gonna you're gonna make that TikTok profile any day now because we we need to see <laughs> you on TikTok. TikTok <laughs> needs Gideon yeah, King. Yeah, I'm gonna wear the sunglasses. Don't worry. That's <laughs> all right. Now, as promised, we have for everyone the Wheel of Gideon King topics. So just to catch everybody up on what the wheel is, uh, what, I, what I do with all of our Break the Business co-hosts is I ask them, hey, do you have, what topics would you like to talk about on the show? What would, you think, what would you think is an interesting thing for us to discuss? And most of the co-hosts, they send me like one or two suggestions. They say, hey, let's talk about this. It's in the news. I think it's interesting. Gideon King inundates our inboxes so delightfully with just a stream of consciousness of a wide range of ideas that he that gets brought forth from his collective experience as a musician and as an investor and as a businessman and just as somebody whose mind is always working right and so all of those suggestions instead of trying to figure out which one we want to ask you about we put them all into a wheel and you all and if you are watching the live stream you will see our gideon king wheel we then spin the gideon king wheel and whatever it lands on, that's what we talk about. And um, so, I mean, am I characterizing this correctly, Gideon? Like, I know this from a lot of, like, business and entrepreneur types that you guys, your, your minds are always moving. You're always thinking. You always have new ideas. And so, you know, they need to come out somewhere. And so, in, in this case, yeah, yeah, I get are, long yeah. emails with lots of topic suggestions. Yeah, yeah. My wife, my wife complains that, that, that literally while we're at dinner, I'm thinking of nine other things while we're talking. And that's... You know, it's a marital issue we've been working through for, what, three decades. So it's cool. It's cool. Well, I think I have the solution for it. Tell <laughs> your see. wife to make a wheel. Cool. cool. <laughs> and we just, just write them all down and, and you make the right. wheel and you spin it. All so, right. So, so, here's so, so you're not just a, a, doing a radio show. You're, you're also a marriage therapist. Cool. I'll just, I'm going to send you $150 for. What for, can I say? I love hey. love. <laughs> you love love. I, all right. Here we go. Let's spin the wheel and see what we're going to talk about here. 
I love the sound effects too. Wow. Oh, okay. Our topic for the Gideon King Wheel this week is how does AI fit into songwriting? This question and its answer has implications for the very place our souls have in the universe. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more, by the way. I think we are, we're, it's, it's, we're really facing a existential kind of thing with the, uh, with AI. And certainly when you look at the strikes with the SAG and the WGA, AI is a big part of all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think in songwriting, it is important. I've actually heard some songwriters who say they use AI, not to write their whole song for them, but just to give them a few ideas, to get the start, to get the ball rolling. Is that something you would consider as a songwriter, like letting AI at least do that for you, or are you that against it? No, I'm not that against it because I can't be that against it um, because it's a reality. Um, here's, what I, here, here's what I would say. I've seen AI programs now that can write full songs with real samples from real instruments. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've done some demos of some apps that do that. And it's like, you know, after you see it, you need a drink because it, it, it's, it's, no, I'm serious, because it, it feels like it obviates the need for like any talent or anybody doing anything to create music. So I don't even, like, that's a whole other discussion that you'd need 90 radio shows to, 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 to wade into. But he, here's what I would say, having used AI to get started on lyrics, it's cool if it's just like a seasoning. And what I mean by that is if you're making a really good soup, you put the mushrooms and the, and the, and the, the butter in and the heavy cream and the onions, and that, that's the stock, chicken stock, that's the substance of the soup. And then you may throw in some salt and some whatever. And I bring up the cooking analogies because, you know, as we discussed before, I really like cooking. But, but um, I bring it up because when I have used AI, it has robbed me of the fundamental thing that I need to create a good tune. And that is that, that feeling like you got to get it out, that it's, that it's like a storm building inside you. It sounds super pretentious, but what the hell. Um, like it's a storm building inside you that you need to get out words feelings some kind of abstract expression of these feelings or experiences that you've had but then when you go to chat gpt and you say write me a song about you know i don't know missing someone whatever it comes out with these things and invariably in the three paragraphs of super celluloid um absurd plastic ai um utterances right there's a couple there's a couple of gems in there Okay, there's a couple of little turns of phrase that you're like, oh my God, that is actually cool. Like that's slick and I need to use it. And it reminds me of that U2 song. But here's what happens when you use it. God, it, 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 it feels like you're doing paperwork, not writing a song. It feels like a big part of the hunger and the, that feeling like you have to get this thing out of you is just sort of gone and 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 it and it's like you're in it weirdly perversely purged of that uncomfortable feeling that you need to get a song done so for me and i suspect for others creatively when you rely on this 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 digital beast or whatever this thing is that seems to be growing in in, in power in the world 
Man, it, it, it does kill a certain creative vibe because some of it is just a clinical extraction of the content. And, and then a cut and paste. You do you clinically extract the content and you cut it and paste it in a song you're writing. It's really freaking weird. And it's really uncomfortable. But how could I ever say in, in any reputable 2023 way that one should completely ignore AI in making music? If I said that, uh, your listeners would be like, who is this guy? What is, this? is this 1856? Like, is he making Gregorian chants or is he writing real songs? So it's like, um, you know, that, that's sort of a confusing, slightly weird answer. But I would say it's how I feel. It saps you of the, the authentic, soulful feeling you get when you finally get that song out. But man, it is efficient, and it does help. So I'm just not, I'm just not sure what to say. It's sort of, I have mixed feelings on it, if you, know where I'm, if you know what I'm trying to say. Well, Gideon, I would say you have to hold firm in your position. Don't feel like the others have to, you know, that you need to soften your stance on this. I think <laughs> people who rely on AI to help them with their creative output are losing pieces of their soul. Like there is no place for AI in creative endeavors and we just need to let humans do everything. It's now, dude, on a completely dude, unrelated note, here's our AI overlord tip of the week. I was like, I feel like I was just at like some kind of weird heavy metal concert, but that's cool. <laughs> so, um, we we used to have humans write our tips of the week, but then we lost a little piece of our soul along the way, and we seek ChatGPT to assist us in coming up with tips of the week for our independent creators. And so, in honor of the work that you do when you're not rocking out with Gideon King and City Blog Gideon, we have asked ChatGPT this week to give us a tip of the week uh, in the voice of an investment manager who would be applying their expertise as an investment manager to indie creators. And so maybe you can, you know, in your background as an investor, maybe you can evaluate this advice and see if it's right on or, or maybe as, if, as an investor, you might have different advice that you can apply from your background to indie creators. But here's what Chad GPT came up with. Let's do it. In our finance landscape, three essential principles guide our choices. Research, diversity, diversify, and anticipate. Now, let me break that down for you. First, research. Dive deep into your audience's preferences and behaviors. Understand their pulse, just as we scrutinize market trends. Next, diversify. Don't rely solely on one platform or genre. Spread your creative wings across different mediums. Think of it as an investment portfolio. The more diversified, the better insulated you are from unforeseen downturns. And finally, anticipate. Always be two steps ahead. Just as we predict market movements, try forecasting trends in your domain. Have backup projects, collaborate, and be open to innovation. How does that sound, Gideon? Any, any of that like makes sense to you as an investor in terms of lessons you know that could be applied to indie creators? You know what? That is like a tidal wave of like trite aphorisms that are perfectly fine but um actually like did steve jobs diversify did elon musk diversify um you know did the inventor of the apollo twin converter that we use to make our voices clear on this show 
diversify? Does the best French chef uh, in Paris diversify? Does Bono play jazz, classical, country music, and so on? So, like, that notion of diversification, actually, what it really does, sadly, is it guarantees a kind of run-of-the-mill, dury-gur mediocrity. And, and, And so diversification is awesome because someone says, well, I'm telling you to diversify, and therefore I am a safe pair of hands giving you safe advice. But actually, when you diversify, especially if you diversify too much, you just turn into this like fractionated uh, product of millions of different things and never actually create anything particularly individual. So that, I'm afraid, I'm going to have to call BS on, on your AI overlord, and, and you may kick me off the show for that, and, and that's fine. I will, I will live with that. But, uh, but yeah, the diversification advice is just, it's one of those really trite, really boring, throwaway things that people say that it's just, it's just garbage, man. Daniel Neruda commenter writes in diversification requires splitting resources. I'm with you on this, Gideon. I I would do the opposite of kicking you off the show. I want you to be on the show even more with insights like that. You know what? I, I'm going to say it. I think we beat the machines this week. I think <laughs> the human investor did better with his perspective wait, than the wait, chat wait. GPT investor. Humans I- win. I want to stop you. I'm going to take four seconds. You just had a guest, Neruda, which is a cool name because, of course, the poet Pablo Neruda, one of the greatest of all times. But but um, your guest, Neruda, said it requires splitting resources. And having run businesses, the more you split those resources, um, the less you focus on any given thing. And the more, I would say, again, the more mediocre you are at, at understanding any given thing. So whoever Daniel, uh, not, no, it's, oh, it's not Neruda, it's Neruda, got it. Whoever uh, Danielle Neruda is, um, is a smart person. Um, so Danielle, you and I, let's get married. We, we like each other. Love it. Gosh, that's, see, we, we beat the machines this week. I am, yeah, take that AI overlord. All right, we're going to take a break, and we have another fantastic non-AI human joining us in the next segment. Our guest, Vita Cruz, is going to be with us. Don't go anywhere. Keep staying with us on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life.
thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella joined with Gideon King. Thank you for checking us out wherever you're checking us out, whether it's on all the major podcast platforms or on the live streaming platforms or at our satellite radio home, Sirius XM 145, wherever you're checking us out, we glad that you are. Gideon, let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. She is an entertainment attorney and corporate counsel for AAA game studio Gearbox Publishing, creators of the Borderlands series and other memorable video game titles. Before starting at Gearbox in 2020, our guest got her bachelor's degree, JD, and MBA from the University of Miami. Great choice. You can follow our guest on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Vault Hunter Vita. We are happy to welcome Vita Cruz on to Break the Business. Hello, Vita. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited to be chatting with you. This is this is going to be a delight. I don't know how much you heard of us in the first segment gushing about just how cool your job is and how envious we are of, of what you get to do. And not only is what you do really cool, I mean, being in-house lawyer for a game studio, but the story of how you got there is almost equally as cool because... <laughs> Being an in-house attorney at any plum entertainment organization, whether it's like a record label or a movie studio, nobody gets these jobs straight out of law school. These jobs, you got you to gotta grind it out in a law firm, just you know, doing stupid hours in a windowless office, just miserable 20-hour days, the whole kind of mess. And even for somebody like you that's super educated and skilled at what they do, like, these jobs don't go to people straight out of law school, but you got this gig straight out of school. And I think part of it, and I think there's some lessons in how you were able to do it um, because it was a consequence of not only your passion for the business, not only your knowledge, but your networking skills, how you got involved in the industry and uh, how you were able to get where you are. So can you tell us a little bit about that origin story? Yes, my lore. Okay, so my lore dates back to... uh being in law school at the University of Miami. And I mean, this one goes out to all the law students who are struggling in their 1-0 year because I struggled and I almost quit. It was like a whole thing. And that's where the MBA side of it came from, right? So I'm bringing that up because in my last year of law school, which ended up being an extra year because of the MBA, I was really torn on what I wanted to do. And I wasn't sure because I knew that I needed to figure it out. And doing the MBA and doing law school at the same time was like, I want something that combines business and law. And then there was this one short course at the University of Miami. I don't know if you heard about it, Ryan, but it was it was video game law. And I, I took that course and I was the gunner. I'm never the gunner, but I was like raising my hand all the time. like, Yay! And I just love video games, right? So doing hearing that video games have lawyers, video game studios have lawyers was a crazy novel idea that obviously makes sense 
to everybody else. But in the moment, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. It was a one-week short course, and I, I, I fell in love with it. And I was like, I need to get into the game industry. I don't know how, but I, I got to figure it out. And I just started the hustle of networking. I went on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, every single outlet, Twitch, everything that I could muster to get my name out there and put myself out there so that I could be noticed by fellow video game lawyers and other people in the industry. I was doing it. And it culminated with uh, GDC, where I, I really wanted to attend because I knew that there would be industry. Game developers conference. There. Yes, game developers conference. Yes. I knew that there'd be a lot of networking opportunities there. And I was like, this pass is $2,500 and I'm a law school student with another degree. Like it's too expensive to get to San Francisco and to stay there. And it was just a lot. So I was like, how, how do I at least get the pass covered or something? I consider going in as like a press journalist or something, but then I found that you could volunteer. So I applied to this volunteer program. It was called the CA program conference associate. Uh, they call it the network networking opportunity of a lifetime. And I cannot agree more. It just so happened that not only did I get accepted late because I found out about this way after the deadline, like three months after the deadline, someone canceled. Thank you. And I got accepted. And then I went over to San Francisco and it just so happened that there was another lawyer there. And that like never happened in the four years that I've been volunteering there since then, there has not been another lawyer, but that year there was and spoiler alert, he's my boss now. Um, but he's, he was over there and then we connected and he just told me, you know, Hey, if you're still looking for a job after you pass the bar in September, let me know. So I was like, okay. So after that, I, I finished GDC. I went back home, finished finals, whatever. Uh, I went to another event, uh, of the video game bar association. And there I, again, I emailed the video game bar association director and I was like, please let me volunteer. I'll serve coffee. I don't care. And then they let me. So I went over there, a huge networking opportunity. I met so many other lawyers in the video game industry and it was awesome. And, uh, after that, I saw my current boss lawyer person, uh, there again. And, uh, after that we connected and obviously I went back home, took the bar, passed it. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I was like, Hey, so about that job. And <laughs> he told me just sending your resume. And I was like, okay. So I sent it in. Obviously I made sure it was like really nice. And bada bing bada boom they flew me out to texas to interview me i interviewed with randy our ceo and everybody else and then i got the job and i've been so grateful ever since it's such a dream come true that's incredible gideon i don't know how much you know about sort of the the job getting process for law students but it's instructive here and i think there's a lesson in this for indie creators as well because this process for getting a job as a law student is highly regimented Starting in your after your first year, you know, you you do what's called on campus interviews where you interview right. with a bunch of law firms that descend upon the school. And then you, that's how you get your your summer job between your first and your second year, your summer job between your second and third year. And then that job in the summer usually leads to your job at your law firm. And then that job leads to another job, which leads to another job. And it's a pipeline. And nobody is allowed to go outside of the pipeline. You know, you you it's you have to stay it's something about our, our legal profession. Like you, you can't color outside the lines except Vita said, well, why can't I color outside the lines? Why do I need to go through this like silly regimented cattle call of an interview procedure? I'm going to go right to the people who make the decisions. I'm going to meet them where they are. I'm going to go to those conferences. I'm going to contact the right people and I'm going to make that personal touch. 
And so she was able to to skip a lot of steps uh, in this line and get to that dream job where she gets to do this really cool stuff. I mean, I, I think there's lessons in this for indie creators too, right? Gideon, about like how you don't have to follow the same path. You don't have to just go to terrestrial radio or something like that and or just do TikTok. Find your own path to success because I think in this industry more than any other, you can do that now. Yeah. 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 You know, in, in business and in private equity, investment banking, all those things, it's regimented, but not like it is in, in, in the law. And without a doubt, um, finding an original off-road path is, um, is really the story of, of, for me, some of the most unique artists and business people in history. I mean, when I got to work with John Schofield, who was, of course, one of the great living jazz guitar players, I wrote him a poem, and everybody said, contact his record, lab- record label and do this and do that. I just wrote the guy a poem, and, um, and uh, he liked it and said, sure, I'll play with you. Send, you, send me your music. So as far as I'm concerned, that was about as off the beaten path as you could do. He's like, he's like, who is this guy writing me a poem? Should I get a restraining order? Like, well, like who is this guy? Like, and, and so like, in the end, it, it was cool. It worked. I love this. Now, in this dream job, Vita, that you have now, where you are making law happen for some of my favorite video games, which is so cool. And you're doing it as as a Miami person, uh, as a fellow Miami person. We love it when, you know, people, especially the University of Miami, from which, for which I'm also an alum, seeing somebody from there succeed. Uh, I'm, I, I love this for you. And I'm now I'm just curious, like, what does a typical day look like for you in this role? And please don't give us the, well, no day is typical. Every day is different. All right, we accept that premise. <laughs> give us like an example of like the kind of work you're doing every day over there. For sure. Um, I wake up, step one. Step two, I have a lot of fun because it, it really is, uh, I, I'm about to say it, I'm sorry. No, come is, on, I come on. It, because being in-house counsel, I was thrown into the fire when I first got there and we touch so many different areas of law that you really have to be a true generalist in so many different things. Mm. And you have to know how to identify when, you know, you can take this on or when you have to pass it off to someone who knows the area a little better. So for example, I'll wake up and I'll do a contract. Um, I'll be redlining, I'll be reviewing, it could be a publishing deal, it could be a licensing deal, it could be myriad of other contracts that keep the business running. So it could be IT, employment, like there's so many different contracts. That's like the core of uh, a lot of the things that I do. But besides the contract, I mean, what I find most fun is working as close to the devs as possible, which means I get to work with the game as much as possible. I carved that path for myself because I said, I like intellectual property, I've always said that. And a lot of what I do is what's called asset reviews, right? So anything that makes it into the game gets legal review. I mean, some things like rocks, I mean, sure, I can review it, but what am I going to say about a rock? But like other things um, are more important, like main characters or like uh, important story points or, you know, Borderlands is known for parody. So it's always a very fine line that we walk in order to be funny the way that we are. And I totally support it. I love it. Uh, But we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right way, right? So uh asset reviews are a big part of it privacy is a huge part of it that i just got thrown into and i swear it's stockholm syndrome that now i like it and i find it super important for us (laughs) to care about our privacy so and our company's privacy and uh, our employees privacy everything like it's it's actually really important um not only privacy but let's see i mean i do mocap too so like I've done that. I suit up in like the suit and then I've done that. But you, we're talking about legal. Now, so I was about to say, what class in law school prepared you for that? <laughs> I remember right? that on the bar exam. Right, right. Um, the, honestly, Vita, the I have a qu- oh, in the sure. martial arts. Huh? 
Oh, I had a question for you, but I, I also interrupted, so I'm happy to wait. Well, I think I'm done. I mean, it's, yeah, I said intellectual <laughs> property, I said privacy, I said contracts. I'm pretty sure there's something else here that's like really important that I'm missing, but I mean, it'll come when it comes. More it's important than mocap. More important than mocap. Exactly. So well, oh, what, yeah. what, what I was going to ask, and I didn't want to interrupt because I have two lawyers here and like, I don't know, maybe you guys, you guys could bring a cause of action against me if I say something, well, you know, if I interrupt twice or something like that. I got to be very I mean, careful. the two lawyers thing is one thing, but how about two Miamians? Like you'll never get no, a word in edgewise. Yeah, no, I'm sur this is, I'm surrounded. So, so, <laughs> so, 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 so here's my question. You know, creative people don't like to be held back. Right. And you know, video games are edgy. They're intense. Right. Like when I go downstairs and I check out the video game that my son's playing, I mean, like I sometimes I'm like shocked. I'm like, oh, my God, this is intense as hell in so many social ways. And so as you know, being counsel for a company that makes an intense product, right? How, you know, you say you like working with the devs. I'm pretty sure you said that a minute ago, right? So you love working with the devs. But to what extent are you sometimes relied upon by the company to be the governor on the engine of the creative <clears throat> let's say vibrancy for lack of a better expression of the, of the devs, like they may want to do something and you're like, Oh my Lord, that is just so, that is so hardcore that like, I got to stop you right here. Or is it really just about, is it really just about like liability and, 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 and so on. So maybe you could talk about the tension between that, the creative product and the fact that you're the, the legal overlord. Sorry, sorry, Ryan, you're the legal, you're, sorry, dude, you're the legal, you're the legal overlord for the, for the process. I love this question, Gideon, because when I first got to Gearbox, I had this idea that they hated lawyers. And it wasn't helped by the fact that many game devs that I met were like scared of lawyers. So I felt like I was fighting this. Uh, well, not only that, but like oh, for other reasons within the company, they just didn't like lawyers. Right. That's what I thought. And I, I, I came in there thinking that and I was like, I need to change this way of thinking because I am here to help you guys. I want right. you guys to be as creative as possible. Like put the gas in that engine and go because right. I really want the games to be super fun and super creative. So how can I enable that? I, I took it upon myself to be as friendly as possible to get to know the people that I'm working with. It's not like I sit on some high chair and I'm like, no, this can't go in the game. Now, yeah. I don't like, I, I really don't like to do that unless it's like right. a really big risk. So the best right. way to answer your question is in terms of risk. If the, is this thing that's going in this game, is this the hill, Mr. Mrs. Developer that you're willing to die on? Because if it's something that's going to be really, really, really risky, we have to make this analysis of, well, is the return going to outweigh huh. the huge yeah. liability and risk that it has? Right. right? Totally. So I like to yeah. look at it in terms of that instead of just like a hard black and white no. And as well. If there is something in the game that's a little too close to something else, for example, or something that's just a little too much in the legal risk world, I love to work with the devs to be like, okay, can't do this, but like, how can we change it to make totally. it like this? And then I actually get yeah. to even have some input sometimes. And that part yeah. I love. I got you. I love that perspective from an in-house attorney. Like clients always tell me they hate the in-house attorneys that tell them no as opposed to the in-house attorneys that help them get to yes. Yes. And that's the perspective you seem to be lending, which isn't yes. just no, it's let's, all right, I see what you're trying to do. I love it. 
here's how you can still make it happen. And yes. that's the perspective. Exactly. I want to ask you a lot more about just the work that you're doing, but I do want to make sure we get this particular question in because I just see it here and it's blinking at me. And and I, I, I again, I, I use this phrase all the time, but I'd be committing interviewer malpractice if I didn't ask you about this. As we mentioned before, you are a Miamian, fellow Miamians here, you and me. And oftentimes when people go to Miami from another, you know, go to another city from Miami, as you did, because you're in Texas now, they often run into situations where they let their Miami culture out in the wrong situation. Um, and it can offend outsiders. This, uh, this happened to me when I was uh, in New York. Um, I used the phrase uh, eating bleep. Um, yes. Uh, S-H-T. Yep. Which um, means something else to them, by the way. Yeah. So like, we, you know, we get, in Miami, we use that phrase to mean like, you know, hanging out, doing nothing. And I didn't know until I used that phrase in New York that we're the only place that uses that phrase that way in the U.S. They looked at me with horrified faces. And I was like, oh, I let the Miami out in the wrong place. And so uh, I've heard that you had a situation at your company where you let Miami out in perhaps a not so great situation. And it led to a... Something a little zany at your company. Can you tell us about this? Oh my god, it was so funny. This was like my fourth month on the job, and we had just got all sent home because of COVID, so we were all working from home. And I was on a very important meeting with a whole bunch of stakeholders, but among them was our chief operating officer. And uh, we were talking about I forgot what, but it was something important. I promise. And uh, I, I, I directed one of my questions that I had very important legal topic to someone in the call, but the chief operating officer chimed in and started to answer. And I just go, Miami AF, excuse me, I wasn't talking to you. And, <laughs> and then everybody in the call started laughing. And then he was laughing and I was laughing. And I was like, <laughs> did I just mess up really bad? <laughs> officer, oh my God. So after the call, I was like, I messaged him. I was like, hey, um, I'm so sorry if I offended you. I didn't mean anything by it. I actually really like you. Like, please don't think anything of it. And he was like, no, I, I please. I enjoy a good ribbing. And then we became even closer after that. So I was like really happy that it worked out. But I was also really stressed in the moment that I might have potentially like effed everything up. Oh, my God. Good ending. <laughs> like you did it with that exact inflection and everything like full Miami. I said, excuse me, I'm not talking to you. Like, I don't know <laughs> what came over me at that moment. I just went full Miami and oh I God. learned that from that experience that there's a time and place and sometimes it works, but that's a bet. That's a bet that I have to hedge. So. And boy, did you, did you just like, you know, just, you know, go for broke there just using it on your coo four months into the job four months into the oh job God. it was risky but that's how Ooh. we do so yeah. but he respected you for it it sounds right. like right that's there you go. I, I love that i had a, it had a happy ending that's what i'll say um <laughs> you can follow our guest uh, on all sorts of platforms uh, x instagram twitch at vault hunter Vito. the other thing i like about you as an entertainment lawyer, Vita. And I, I always love the entertainment lawyers who live the product, right? They're getting high on their clients' supply. You know, this isn't just, oh, I do this job, those people do their entertainment thing, but I'm just the lawyer. Like, you embrace this. You are a streamer, you are a cosplayer, you are fully immersed in this world. 
does this like help you in your work or just, you know, are you just like, you just see this as like a, a thing that you do and it's like a helpful bry product or does like fully getting into this world make you better at what you do as an attorney? Oh my God, a hundred percent. And to that end, I've even gone so far as to start training in Unreal Engine to learn how to code a game. And I'm actually almost done with my very first game. Yeah. So no I'm, kidding. That's yeah. awesome. Yes. That's cool. I love it. It's so fun. It's so cool. I felt that I had to learn the process of game development inside and out in order to be the best in-house counsel that I could be. So I set upon that journey to just explore every area of game dev. So I, I, I'm training in Unreal. I've also, uh, I, I took like the writing test for Gearbox and, and just like came up with a character and a dialogue scene and everything just to try my hand at it, you know, and I got feedback from the writers. Um, next up is voice acting. So I'm looking into that. So, you know, anybody, but, uh, <laughs> anybody, um, anyway, sorry. So just trying to explore all the areas of game dev in order to understand where they're coming from, because if you don't understand what the client truly wants and cares about, how are you going to provide the best legal advice possible? That's my opinion. So not only has my journey into game development helped me with my job, but the peripheral stuff like the streaming, for example, I love that. And now I understand when I do an influencer contract, what they care about. Right. Uh, so with with the cosplaying thing, too. Cosplaying is just something that I've done for years. Like I used to do it all the time and post my pictures on Facebook. I had like a little bit of a following in South Florida and it's just so fun. And to be able to get into the character, it just, it just reminds me that like, we, we want to have fun at the game studio at the end of the day. And we want to create characters that are memorable that people will want to cosplay. Things like that remind me that what we're doing is really special and it really touches people's lives, you know? I bet you've never been that inspired by an attorney in your life, Gideon. How great was that answer? Yeah, well, here's the problem. I no longer believe Vita's an attorney. Wow. <laughs> because cause you because attorneys are never this excited and and so like it's clear that you never got a law degree to me this, 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 whole, this whole show yeah. this whole show's a fraud ryan it's over uh, i have a bar card do you want me right. to show you <laughs> i well, believe you. she didn't get a law degree she got a law degree and an, and MBA. an mba okay maybe that's what happened that, <laughs> that's that what explains it is it. yeah that's what i think we're hearing like all, yeah, all this like fun engaging stuff that's the mba talking i've Absolutely. i've never met i've never been bored by an MBA. I think the most interesting class I took in law school was the classes that I got to take at the business school. Nice. Um, and I, I, I mean, just, just a quick aside on this. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's so true. Like when I, when, you know, and, and Vita knows this about lawyers in law school, like in law school, when class is over, you, all the introverts, you just, all you pack up your bag, you leave, you run to the library, you put your head in a book. And so when I'm taking my first class at the business school at, at, at our law school, um, the class ends and I start packing up and going to the library because that's what we lawyers are supposed to do. And I look up and nobody's left because they're all just standing around networking, yeah. having conversations, shooting the breeze. And I was like, oh, we're the weird ones. <laughs> exactly. Business people are actually interesting and enjoy each other's company. I can vouch for that, by the way, because when I was in law school, I felt like a bit of a loner. Like, I felt like I didn't really fit in with a lot of the crowd, maybe because I was like really nerdy or whatever it was. But when I got to the MBA program, I really felt like I found people that just wanted to talk to me and I wanted to talk to them. Like, it was just a much more e environment that was easy to talk to people in. And so that's just something very interesting dichotomy between law school and the MBA program. Well, do you know what I think it might have also been? Because you were you were a theater kid, right? Uh, yep. I did theater yeah. in high school and undergrad. 
There you go. Yeah, I was a theater kid too, and had a similar experience at law school. I think oh, really? yeah. theater kids and law school like that is like that doesn't mix well. I, I didn't really start to love law school until I found like the group of students at the school right. that put on the parody musical that made yes! that lampoon the professors. Like you were in that too? Of yes. course you were. Yeah. But what was it called? Um. Oh my god. I forgot. Well, the name at our school we called yeah. it Law Review, but R E V U E. Oh, that's that's clever. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um. All right. Well, now we've got seriously off topic. Um. <laughs> okay. So I had about a thousand more questions for you about indie creators. We've blown through our time because I, I selfishly wanted to talk to you about law school, but that's okay because. I think it's pretty clear we need to have you on a lot more often anyway. You can hang you can uh, follow our guest on Twitter, Instagram and Twitch at Vault Hunter Vita. Uh, she also you also have the Instagram account at Power Up Books where you, yes. you know, talk about some of your favorite books. That is a beautiful beautiful Instagram page. I know our producer Lauren has fallen in love with this page. Oh, oh she's got a picture of it. Oh my god. Look how beautiful this Instagram page is. Oh at Power Up Books. This is gorgeous Vita. Oh yeah, in addition to everything else that she does, uh, Vita also comes from a social media marketing background, as if that wasn't made quite obvious by how great this Instagram profile looks. Um, so lots of things to like about you. Thanks. Before we let you go, we got one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? You mean legal tips or just general? Just general. General? We want to tap into your full base of experience, however you want to address this question. Okay, Yes. The biggest thing I say at GDC and that I'll share again for indie creators is to please think outside the box when it comes to getting whatever you want, because the path that everybody has taken might be the most difficult path for you. But if you think outside the box and think creatively about your approach and how you want to get what, where you want to go, you're going to come up with some solutions that no one's ever thought of. And you'll be the first one to do those things. Trail blazers. That's what you want to do. That's my biggest advice. I love that. And certainly you are embodying that. Uh, Vita, this has been a treat. Uh, please don't be a stranger. We got so many more things to talk to you about going forward. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much for everything, Thank Ryan. You. And Thank nice you, to meet you, Gideon. Yeah, nice to Our meet thanks you. Thank to you. Vita Cruz. Our thanks to Gideon King and producer Lauren. And thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.